Angela and Ben, who are, are and our choir for that matter, for uh, our, uh, our fearless leaders today. Helen has taken a well-deserved Sunday off, and we give thanks to God for Helen as well. Um, but thank you so much, um, choir. I appreciate y'all continuing to do great work. Um, I'm so delighted that so many of you had great Thanksgivings. Um, it was fun to hear your stories. My Thanksgiving went wonderfully well up until about 6.30 that Thursday night. I won't go into that, but I, I thank my Ole Miss fans for not gloating today. Thank you for being good sports uh, so far. Let's pray. Lord, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. We long to hear the good news. Lord, may your gospel shine. Not just this hour, but all week. In your name we pray. Amen. So today is the last Sunday and of the year, of the Christian year. Next, next week, we turn the page, the first Sunday of Advent. This last year was the year of Matthew, year A. And you'll hear more from Mark this next, many of the Sundays this next year. And what better Christ the King final Sunday is there than uh, the sheep and the goats, right? And that's what we heard today, the the final judgment, the final accountability of all, of all the nations. Mark Twain one time said that it's not the, not the things in the Bible that I don't understand that scare me. It's the things that I do understand that scare me. This story that we heard is almost too clear. There's no wiggle room about it. Jesus is sitting on the hillside at the top of the Mount of Olives. You can go there today. It's a great view of the city of Jerusalem. And he's just got his 12 disciples there. And he talked about the very scary things that would be happening and would continue to happen. And he's trying to get it right before the authorities, both religious and civil, begin to conspire together to do away with Jesus. So this is the last thing. This is the last Story. This is, this is the last thing that he leaves them with before he undergoes that, his great ordeal. He says on that day, all the nations, I think Jesus is talking about everybody, is going to be there before the judge to give an account of their life. They'll all be lined up and be sorted uh, accordingly. And if that's not enough, the standard, the standard is not, they're not getting sorted by denomination or ethnicity or political party. Let me check my notes here. They're going to be sorted by paper cups full of water, by peanut butter sandwiches wrapped in a paper towel, by the people who bothered to go by somebody's house when they knew they were grieving or visiting a family who, whose loved one is behind bars. What? Really? Is that what it's going to look like one day? 
And not to mention that, what's a little bit more disturbing is the sheep and the goats, right? You got the sheep on his right, goats on his left. Sheep on one side, goats on the other. Interestingly enough, I was told by a veterinarian that if you, if you shear or uh, shave the wool off of a sheep, it's almost impossible to tell, to tell the difference between a sheep and a goat. The, the tail is a little bit different. But really, really and truly, they all look the same until it gets dark and until it gets cold. And when that happens, sheep like fresh air. Goats want warmth. And so they get sorted out. They get sorted out. What in the world are we to make of Jesus' last vivid story about that day of judgment? It's this. There's only one standard, the highest standard that decides really our fate and our life is not how pretty we pray or not how nice we are to each other or not whether we believe or which version of the atonement that we believe. It's not how beautiful we think Jesus is. It's this. What did we do in the face of human need when it was right in front of us? You remember when you were a student and you had a really tough class. You had all these easy classes, but you had that really one hard one. And what did you want to know midway through the semester? What's going to be on the final exam? And you tried to figure it out. And you tried to figure it out because you really did want to know. And it looks like, according to Jesus, there's only one question. Did we reach out? Do we love the invisible, the last, the least, the lost? What's going to be on the final test? What questions will there be there? Will be there at the end of my life? What will be the measure of it? How successful I was? What kind of car I drove? How much money I made? There's only one. Did we help other people? Or did we not? There's a couple other twists here as we think about this. The judge is not just on the throne, but he's actually taken up residence in people who are in need. Just as you have done it to the least of these, Jesus says, you've done it to me. So Jesus is in two places, in the judgment seat and in the most vulnerable people. Jesus is the incognito Lord. He's... He's the one who's always in the greatest disguise as we go about our busy lives each day and each week. There's another twist to this story that Jesus tells. Nobody on Judgment Day seems to realize what is happening when they either fail to help someone else or they decided to do it. Everybody's surprised. Lord, when did we see you in need? Because we don't remember seeing you in need when you've done it to the least of these, he says, You've done it to me. It seems like we may be living in an eternal episode of Undercover Boss. Anybody seen that? Started in 2010, right after the Super Bowl that year. 40 million people tuned in to watch Undercover Boss. And that show has been running on CBS for more than 10 years. I don't know if it's still on air, but as of 2022, it was. The Boss 
the CEO gets a new hairpiece or wig or whatever, and they do a little bit of face altering. They say they weather the face to make it look like it's been outside a lot because when you weather a face, it really does change what, who you are, what you look like, what your appearance is. And she or he, this CEO, goes back into the company as an entry-level employee to discover what it's like to live paycheck to paycheck, long hours, where you can't go to your child's Christmas program because they won't let you leave. You're an hourly employee. And let's see how that turns out. And then at the end of the show, the CEO invites the low-level employee to the company headquarters for an emotional conversation. It's the big unveiling. Millions are drawn to watching. And so here we are. Surprise! I'm not the person that you thought I was. I'm the CEO here. Usually it's the CEO that goes through some kind of transformation. Like I had no idea people had to live like this. But Jesus is saying that this life of ours, these, these precious days we have, it's like we're constantly exposed to the undercover boss who decided not to sit in the ivory tower, but to come down and to be Jesus disguised in the most odd in different kind of ways. What is Jesus trying to do here? Scare us? If so, it works, right? I'm, it makes me a little nervous. I don't think I bat a thousand to everybody. I miss sometimes. Sometimes I'm a little bit rude. Sometimes I don't do what I know that I'm called to do when I meet Jesus face to face. So if Jesus is trying to scare me, mission accomplished. Some people uh, read Revelation and they say that gets them real scared, you know. And other parts of the body that sort of has these petrifying endings of the world. You know, there's even a meme now, you know, because so much is going on in the world. And somebody looking outside saying, well, what chapter of Revelation are we on now? You know. But I tell you, you know, the world kind of falling apart, you know, just get a bunch of canned goods, hide behind the trees, do what you need to do. I mean, that would be, that, that, that's not a comfortable thing, but that does not, seven-headed uh, uh, dragons what, or, you know, monsters coming out of the ocean don't scare me nearly as much as me thinking about my life and did I respond to people in need and where have I failed? But it's scary scene, even this one that Jesus says, it's only scary if I'm thinking just about myself. It's only scary if I've forgotten about this thing, this gift called faith or trust. Matthew talks a lot about good trees bearing good fruit. And when you're connected to the King of Kings who loved you with an everlasting love, then you're going to bear the kind of fruit that bears out in this world. There's a story in Luke that says not to, uh, not to approach it this way. This is not about me going, I want to save my skin, so what do I need to do, Jesus, to get into the kingdom? There was one time a teacher, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's great. That's awesome. Good. Now sell all your stuff to the poor and come follow me. And he walks away sad. Because he's saying, what must I do? Me, myself, and I. 
And there's something else called a we. There's more than a me. There's us. And there's the world. And Jesus says, come follow me. Forget about saving yourself. Just get lost in serving others. In Matthew 20, he says, do not be like the Gentiles who love to lord it over and boss people around. No, be like servants who love to serve other people. And you won't be worried about what's going to happen at the end because you'll get lost in the fun of what it means to make a difference in somebody else's life. See, we can't live out our missional center of the Jesus life and try to save ourselves at the same time. We just are called to love other people as ourselves. What must I do, Jesus? The irony about this final exam is that you're going to be surprised one day. Everybody's going to be surprised because people are connected to the undercover, co- uh, undercover boss, are not thinking about how to save themselves. They're simply receiving each moment and doing the best they can. Each and every moment, be where your feet are. Notice the people around you and you will know what it means to be, have a generous spirit and to give to others. You're so connected to Jesus that you're not trying to pass a final exam. You're just producing the fruit of love the best way you know how. And they are surprised at the end of the day um, that they did anything for Jesus. Hopefully just like you and me. Jesus, when did we see you? We listen. If we listen to this story and have a little clipboard and trying to do everything, you're going to wear yourself out. Remember, Jesus was telling this to a group of disciples about groups of people. If you try to visit a, a, a hospital and a jail and, you know, go to a food drive and do everything this week, you, you, it's just not going to work. You can't do everything to save the world and God doesn't want you to do that. That's God's business. But we can all do the one thing. We can all do the one thing. Some of you, many of you have gone on mission trips. And when we go to Honduras, man, it is so easy to see the need that's right in front of you, right? If you've ever gone on a mission trip, it's just like right in front of you. It takes a little more faith and a little more strength to see where the need is in Hines, Madison, Rankin County, and others. Because it's a lot more subtle. There is a lot of poverty here, but it's not the same level. So then what do we do now? None of us will have a 100% success rate in helping other people. If you think your salvation is tied up to your own individual performance for Jesus, then maybe you've gotten the formula backwards. None of us individually can measure up, but together as a group, somehow we can grow There's a stack of uh, of jackets right there in that room. Some of us brought some, some of us didn't, but that's okay. Some of them are going to stay here. And some of them are going to go to Gateway and to Stewpot and to other areas so that we we can empower other people too to be a part of this. Some of you have brought snacks that feed people who are desperate right in front of this door. And a lot of times we get kicked around for that a little bit. What are you doing? You're, you're, you're making people dependable. I said, I, you know, we're, it's just energy bars. It's not a steak dinner we're giving out, you know. 
And they say, oh, but look, you're really not helping people. And I have to tell them, this is not about me helping people. This is about us working out of our identity, us being the hands and feet of Christ. We know we can't fix every problem, but we know we can be faithful in the little things. And that's what we're called to do and to be. The point, perhaps, in this final exam is to do what you can. It's to be ready when your number is called. When somebody needs you, do, do what you can. Discern. You can't do it all, but you can do something. If Christ has put visiting prisons in your heart, I can send you to the place that will get you trained to do that. And by all means, do it. If Jesus has laid in your heart to get involved in a teenager's life in your neighborhood, to be a mentor, to bring hope to some kid, then do it by all means. Get lost in something in the joy of serving others. Jesus says, those are the great ones. The ones who are servants are going to be the great ones. There's a thousand ways that we can Get lost in the joy of blessing another person's life. And all we have to do is do it. The key is to stoke your love for other people. To find the underdog. To make a difference. That's what we do as a group. As a church. All the time. Looking for the underdog. Figuring out what we can do to make a difference. Get so lost in something that helps other people. That even when the Savior takes off the wig and the mask. And takes the makeup off. You'll be surprised about your life. You'll say, I was having so much fun blessing other people that I forgot that you were sneaking up on me, Jesus. In Matthew 24, just a chapter before, Jesus talks about all these scary things. War, destruction, chaos, lawlessness. Again, it kind of feels like (laughs) what we're in right now. And he says something so telling that you might skip over it. He says, because of all this chaos, the love of many will grow cold. And maybe that's what all this is about. It's about getting lost in love and wonder and praise. Tending to your fire. So that what's happening in the world doesn't make you cynical or want to give up. But it just makes you dive in even more. If you peek out of your blinds and wonder what chapter of Revelation are we on now. Then this story is for you. At the end of the day, Jesus is calling us to persevere with love. While everyone else is panicking, Jesus says, you stick to loving your neighbor and loving God. After Jesus tells his disciples this, he begins to go undercover, literally, with wounds, with blood, sweat, and tears. And he begins to descend to the bottom for you and for me. And he's betting that we'll recognize him when he is unrecognizable. That the king of kings, no matter how low, will find comfort. No matter how small a gesture in us. Because we remembered who we are in Christ together in him. The king of kings believes that we will have enjoyed helping others so much in this world. That we'll be surprised when we get called up to visit at the corporate office. And that the Savior takes off his disguise and we see the king exactly as he is, exalted, all-powerful, and grateful that we did a few things to make his life easier. At the end of the day, at the end of all our days, that will be the only question on the final exam.
May Jesus surprise all of us in a good way, loving our neighbor and loving God. Let us pray.